right, as promised, at the top of the hour, we're going to make one of our, I don't know, semi-monthly trips over to the Sacramento News and Review. Today we're going to talk with our good pal Cosmo Garvin. You know Cosmo from the work he does for the News and Review and the fact that I think he was on show number seven. Although we're at number 515 now, he's one of our original guests uh, way back when we started. So welcome back. Thanks. Many years back, uh, you were interested in flying around looking at sprawl, at, uh, courtesy of Phil Angelides and others down by uh, Laguna. So yeah, with me acting as pilot, we flew around and took a look at this. And I am so glad to see that although sprawl is off the lips of just about everybody, Cosmo, you're still on the case with this article in the uh, April 19th issue, Onward Sprawl. Yeah, we don't talk about sprawl much anymore, do we? Which is ironic because there's a lot of sprawl on the drawing boards right now. Indeed, and, um, there that's is. Sort of what you know we're talking about in the in the uh, story here from last last week, which I have unfolded in front of me, showing some large blue areas, which are Folsom Rancho Cordova and Elk Grove, with some pink areas attached to them heading south out into uh, into farmland. Yeah, we you know the the map is. Um, uh, it, it's a little abstracted, but we're just trying to sh give some uh, sense of the scale of expansion um, of the suburbs that that are being planned right now. Um, and and if you look, there's sort of like three cities on our, our map. There's Elk Grove, Rancho, and and Folsom. And um, each of those, like like Folsom, is already um, annexed about 3,500 acres. That's going to grow the city about 25 percent you know, just in terms of the area. And this is land that is now headed south of Interstate 50, which I guess was uh, supposed to have been not developed. Is that right? Yeah, technically, I mean, if you go out there, if you drive out there, you're, you're headed east, and you just look, you know, to your right, that all that oak rolling hills, those really pretty rolling hills yeah. of oaks out there. <laughs> yeah. mm -hmm. um, that That's what we're talking about. And, you know, cow pastures and... White Rock Road, et cetera, um, out there. Yeah, it, I, I remember driving up to 15 before you hit the grade. You always look left and see that beautiful rolling hills, which is now um, Folsom. <laughs> I guess they want to do bring the same advantages uh, south of the freeway. Yeah, I think so. There, there, there are some conditions on the development they're going to do there. They're, they're supposed to keep a lot of it in open space and, and you know, save some of those oaks. Um, they're supposed to do a sort of denser development um, to use the land more efficiently and, and have it be more transit-oriented than, than much of what Folsom has done historically. But, but I think you and I will not notice much difference between what's on the left side of the Highway 50 well, right. and what's on the right side right. of Highway in, in 50. The, in the piece, you said the city agreed to several conditions in this development. It had to follow, it had to follow more modern planning principles, which I'm not sure what that means. Uh, invest in public transport and preserve a third of the land in open space. I guess the latter part is a nice concept, keeping some of it open. I think so, but I don't know how much of the planning principles uh, to, to the average person seem that different than any you know, than the sprawl that went before it. I mean, it sounds good to say those things. It does, and you know, I don't, I don't want to be completely um, cynical about, about good, it. Good, I mean, good, leave that to me, Cosmo. <laughs> the, the city of Folsom, arguably, um, as um, you know, perhaps more than the city of Elk Grove or the city of Rancho Cordova, feels like it's, it's, you know, it has nowhere else to go. You know, it's, it's hemmed in by the river and by other cities and and by the county line and. Um, Arguably, it, it needs a little bit of room to grow. Well, arguably, but they have a line, I guess. There's a line of development. I uh, forget the concept of it where at least the people do plan. They do look to the future, and they do realize that it's a lot more expensive to put things where they don't have uh, infrastructure of sewer lines and, 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 and lighting and things like that. And cops and schools. Yeah, and... exactly. <laughs> 
So there is a thought to how to like keep it more centralized, but it looks like these guys are kind of encroaching on that pretty seriously. Yeah, I, I think that this was the one of the big themes in this story is that um, 20 years ago, in the infinite wisdom of the County Board of Supervisors, um, they drew something called the urban services boundary. This is was not, at the time, uh, sort of a, a suggestion about where development should go. This was the hard limit, ultimate limit of urban growth in the county. And even, you know, inside of that, there are further gradations. There's there's something called the urban policy area. I don't want to get too far into the weeds, but but the USB, the urban services boundary, was was it, right? We were not gonna go any further than this. That concept, um, especially in this in this latest round of planning by the County Board of Supervisors, it's not out the window, but I think the USB is a lot more porous than it has been considered up till now. So it may, it may be correct by the letter of the law, but the whole spirit of what they're trying to do looks like they're pulling a fast one. Well, that's, you know, that's what you would say. That's my cynicism <laughs> again kicking in, but yeah. Um, I, I, I want to point out that, you know, uh, I spent a lot of time in the story talking about uh, the city of Elk Grove, which mm -hmm. is... Um, just has sprawl in its DNA. Oh my God! One of the, you said one of the fastest growing cities in America a couple of years back. Yeah, and 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 what they are planning is a, is a eight thousand acre expansion of of what's called this their sphere of influence, <laughs> which is south of their city limits. It's south of the urban services boundary. It's um, just going into uh, farmland that is um, not not only decent farmland but um, but really important. Um, uh, habitat for the critters that um, come and go from the Cosumnes River Preserve, just a uh, you know a few miles down the road from there, and um, th this is a really big deal. Uh, um, Elk Grove's uh, push south, and um, with th th you know they're not asking to start building in the next couple of years. You know they're just simply asking to, to say let's bring this land into our quote unquote sphere of influence. Um, that's that's not going as far as annexation. Um, but it's, you know, it's a critical step towards annexation and, and ultimately development of those 8,000 acres would grow the city by a third, you know, overnight. Wow. Uh, and I want to also add one piece of string that ties all three of these different sprawled areas together is this proposed capital southeast connector, which will, in essence, put a big old freeway out in what is now a rural road. Yeah, right now it basically follows what is right now Grant Line Road, which if you've driven out there, is it's a two-lane rural road out, you know, through pastures and, you know, through the areas of the gravel mines. And basically the southeast connector would connect Elk Grove, um, Rancho Cordova, Folsom, on out to, um, I guess, El Dorado Hills, about a half-billion-dollar project. Paid for by, by whom, by the way? Uh, well us, but um, most of the early money is coming from uh, a, a sales tax measure called Measure A, which we um, voted for. Well, I didn't vote for it, but, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but it passed. Uh, it passed a few years back. Um, and, and that is a transportation, you know, half cent sales tax measure um, that pays for um, some public transit, lots of roads uh, and mm -hmm. highway projects. And um, about $115 million are going to come from that. Um, some, some more money will come from state and federal grants. Then there's a shortfall. I can't remember what I said in there. There's uh, maybe $200 million. Oh, $100 million here, $100 million there. Between friends. What, yeah, what's know? the big deal? Um, will you quote Tom Zlotowski, director of the Capital Southeast Connector Joint Powers Authority, 
a partnership between the county and all these various cities. And he was admitting, well, that connector, well, well, yeah, I guess um, it didn't take into account maybe some other, the development, the new development. Right. It's kind so, of a key omission. So some of the, yeah, some of the, the proposed uh, annexation and development that I'm talking about in the story, talking about the Elk Grove sphere of influence um, and the ultimate development there that they'd like to do, talking about a project called Cordova Hills, and, and there are some other projects there in the East County where, which are, if they're not outside the USB, they're right up against it. None of that stuff was taken into account when they're designing this um, Capital Corridor project. So right off the bat, if, if all of these projects go forward, a road that's supposed to solve the congestion, already congested. Unless you were born yesterday and you li you've lived in California for a while, you know that what these new highways inevitably do, which is open up a, an easy uh, commute route, which is then becomes desirable for development, and then they develop the hell out of it. It's happened all over, everywhere in California. So that's really what this is all about, isn't it? Well, that's one take, certainly. <laughs> I, mean, I, I, talk to, I talk to people who, who feel that um, it, it, it is going to blow open the East County. You know, beyond even the, the projects and, and areas that are kind of being talked about now, if you look and look at the parcels, who owns the parcels or who has options on the parcels yes, of Aglan, you know, these are familiar names like Sakopoulos. Right, they're buying up out there in a big way, which I think does, uh, I think that pretty much tells us what, what this land is, is really intended for. I've seen this happen. <laughs> well, you know, before. Just, just to jump ahead a minute, you got a wonderful letter. You know, we like to talk about letters from, from listeners, but you got a great letter here in the News Interview the very next week um, from a gentleman named Mark Dempsey, which I think is worth, worth talking about. Um, he said that uh, a big reason for all this sprawl is unearned increment. The profit land speculators, also known as developers, get when some local government rezones the land, which I think is kind of what we're at the heart of this matter here, maybe on Grant Line Road. He notes that over in, in Europe, the Germans require that the developers sell the land to local governments at the agricultural land price, and the developers must repurchase it at the rezoned development land price, and the government retains that unearned increment. Uh, sounds like that's something we need to maybe look at. I mean, there's a snowball's chance in hell, but that sounds quite intriguing. It sounds like socialism. I mean, <laughs> is what it, I mean that, that's what Roberta McLashen would tell you, or, or Susan Peters, or, or you know, um, probably any of our county supervisors. I mean, their philosophy is that um, if you own the land, you've got the right to do with it, you know. Well, but uh, what if you're the, the guy that just, the guy that just bought it, it up six months earlier with the idea of developing it in mind? I mean, it's clearly the, it's clearly the tail's wagging the dog. The guy that then buys it with the idea of making a profit on development hopes the whole uh, sprawl process continues. Yeah, I think he does hope that the whole sprawl process continues. But that's sort of the disconnect. I mean, it, we're making land use decisions based on... The, the profit you can make from getting it rezoned. Isn't that the whole, the whole thrust of your article here? That we're, you, know, you quote a man named Alex Keltner who said, overbuilding the suburbs is precisely how we got into the real estate crash that we're in now. You st step out of rehab and the first thing you do is head for the bar. I mean, that, I think to me that summarizes it beautifully. Yeah. And it's, it's palpable, though, how much um, our electeds want just a little bit of a taste of the, the sort of boom times um, that, that are, you know, not that far in our past. They, they know how to make this game work, this, this great giant bubble we've all been a part of for a generation. And, I, you know, I'm glad you're, you're calling attention to this now early because the time will come when the economy starts to pick up again, and this is going to be right back on the front burner. I think so. You know, there's a good argument that um, 
right now is is really when we ought to seriously rethink the way we've done things. All right, I I've been rethinking it. How do we get how, how do we get people? Uh, I mean, you're you're writing articles. We're talking about it on the air, but uh, what do we do? Go to go to go to um, county supervisor meetings. What do we do? Um, you could go to county supervisor meetings. You could write checks for county supervisors candidates. <laughs> I suppose you could work for candidates who um, have different ideas um, about about this game. Well, actually, yes. Let me let me jump forward. I, I'm not, you had some good follow up letters here. Yeah, a guy on this current issue. Uh, was talking about that very thing. He said that uh, a man named Daniel Seneca wrote the paper, said, chasing profits by leveraging valuable agricultural lands and railroading environmental preserves is the opposite of a creative economy, which is necessary to regional economic stability in the long run. He said, we voters should support public officials who believe in the value of vibrant local economies that understood the danger of decimating natural resources for short-term profit and that walk the walk when it comes to living in an economically responsible fashion. I hope Mr. I, I agree with Mr. Uh, Seneca in principle, but are there such people out there? Are they running for city council? I mean, or, or county supervisor? You know, maybe for, for county supervisor. I mean, this is not a discussion that's happening in, in the supervisor races right now. If it is happening, right. it's, it's not being amplified. Right, right. We um, we like to bag on government and government bureaucrats. There are there are people in the in the planning departments, um, you know, in the county and in the city who um, who do get this stuff and who are trying to lead their board of supervisors uh, toward more conservative, frankly, you know, sustainable decisions. Uh, but they're just outgunned politically. You know? Well, for speaking for Radio Parallax, you people out there, and you know who you are, give us, drop us a line. We'll, we'll talk to you too directly. I'm sure, I'm sure that you'll... <laughs> I don't know if they can talk about it. That's the thing. Well, I mean, you know, I talked, to, I talked in the story um, uh, to a guy who was a, a, a county planner for yeah. years and years, you know, a, a senior county planner who got into it for the right reasons, but, you know, only it was after leaving the service of the county that he could really talk about how the, how the game... The works. Well, I guess that's the nature of reporting, isn't it? You got to find somebody who'll talk, and it's people in the midst of planning are sometimes um, hamstrung. Yeah, they've got their jobs to think about. And um... well, let's keep on the story. You and I have been talking about it for I don't know, almost a decade now, I guess, and we should keep keep doing so. Uh, well, I do hope that we don't see this continued sprawl because it is a game that has a huge downside. Yeah. And I guess that you guys at the News Review, you're expanding now into radio yourselves and probably will talk about this and other things uh, on the air, yes? It's not uh, radio, it's internet radio. I suppose it's, a, we're, it's radio. we're doing a, a podcast, okay. and um, it's nothing near the, the level of uh, what you guys have been doing. But uh, me and a, a few friends have been uh, trying out a, a podcast called Sacramento Current and um, literally started in, in one of our garages. Isaac Gonzalez is a... A blogger here in town who does a, a blog called Ransacked Media. Um, myself, uh, there's a guy, Patrick Kennedy, who's on the Sac City School Board, um, and another guy named Phil Pluckebaum, who's a local neighborhood advocate and organizer. And um, we just basically started talking to people, policymakers. They just did an interview with Leonard Padilla, who's running Padilla. Sorry, Padilla. Who's well, running? For he told me either way was acceptable. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he told me uh, Leonard Padilla, Julie Padilla. So, <laughs> well, okay. His daughter is Julie Padilla. And uh, yeah, you can find it on uh, sacramentocurrent.com. Uh, we have fun doing it, but it, it's wonky as hell. Um, it's just politics and public policy. Is he going to make a serious run at Kevin Johnson, by the way? Any idea? He's, he's, Padilla says that um, 
that this year, this year, he, he's, he's really serious about it. <laughs> Every year has been sort of a different theme, but, but this year is different in that. I'm not quite sure how it's going to be different, but... Um, well, we'll see, I guess. We'll, we'll see. We'll, we'll, give him, we'll give him two cents on our show, too, I hope. Yeah. I mean, there's a strong anti-KJ contingent out there, so, I mean, he could... Well, I'm tired of this whole arena business. I'm just hoping that it really is dead. I'm hoping that we can now go down at midnight, dig the coffin up, pry open the lid, and drive a stake through the heart of this deal. But that's just me. That's just you and about (laughs) 375,000 other people in the city of Sacramento. (laughs) Well, we will continue to follow that one. Of course, you're following that in Bites. You are the the weekly author of Bites, the News and Review, and uh, looking forward to being the Herb Cain of Sacramento eventually here, eh? I don't think so. so. All right. Well, Cosmo Garvin, it's been a pleasure. Let's let's keep doing this on a regular basis because you guys are doing some good work over there. Oh no, you you are doing some good work. Thanks so much for letting me be a part of it, man. All right. We'll talk to you soon. All right. All right, let's quote from someone we haven't uh, quoted from much. Actually, I'm not quite ready to quote from Esquire magazine, but I'm intrigued by their article about Robert Cairo. Huge fans of Robert Cairo and his previous three books on Lyndon Johnson. It's going to be a five-volume series before he's done, and uh, number four is about to hit the market. This will cover the transition of Lyndon Johnson from being a miserable vice president to the leader of the free world upon the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Now, this correspondent has some uh, suspicion that um, there's more to the story of the murder of President Kennedy than one lone nut with a lucky day shooting. There's been much speculation over the decades about a possible involvement of Lyndon Johnson in the elimination of his predecessor, whose death made him the most powerful man in the world. There are some curious aspects of the matter, such as that it took place in Texas, or that JFK was there to mend political fences between Johnson and some other people. But I've been waiting for many years since I read his first work on Lyndon Johnson, which involved him going back and speaking to people that knew LBJ when he was in high school. And I remember being being very struck by a story he dug up from some kids that were his pupils during the one year during which he was a school teacher. When he was 27 years of age and had previously been a congressional aide and was spending his one year putting his... uh, his degree to work as a, as a school teacher. One of the kids uh, was poking fun at Johnson for his being big, lanky, awkward, and all elbows, and he was doing a pretty good imitation of Johnson in front of the class before he showed up. Johnson at the doorway observed the mocking going on, had a hurt look on his face, spanked the boy, and then addressed the class. Said Lyndon Johnson at that time, How can you make fun of me? You are looking at the future president of the United States. The kids that Cairo tracked down said it made a big impression on him because they thought he was nuts. But it occurred to me that uh, Cairo may have stumbled onto some burning lifetime desire of a very, very adept uh, political intriguer that may have had some insight on his eventual ascendancy to uh, the presidency. But I don't know how he's going to do. On this fourth volume, he's dug up amazing things, amazingly scurrilous things in the previous three, and I just don't know whether he's going to uh, 
get close to what happened on November 22nd, 63 in this edition. And uh, Esquire magazine has a long piece on Cairo and what he's done with Johnson. And we're looking forward to talking about that in the weeks to come. Pop out to 